I finished school and I, I really didn't know what I wanted to do. And um, my dad suggested that I, that I do a travel course. So I had a corporate job for eight years with Ansett Airlines. And I was living in, in Sydney at the time and my partner, he, he'd come home from work and he'd say, oh, God, another interiors magazine. You don't even read them. <laughs> like, what are you doing? You don't, you're wasting all this money. But I was tearing out articles of people that I loved and I found that really inspiring and then and then he also said you you constantly rearranging I come home and I don't know where anything is you need why don't you get a job and do something where you can my boyfriend's great oh. <laughs> 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 he, he was at the time um, <laughs> so he encouraged me to get a job where I could be creative as opposed to you know, running around in an Ansett uniform with heels on and my hair in a ponytail and red lipstick. Sort of all grew from there. The Creative Trust is a podcast about the creative process. Amanda Henderson founded Gloss Creative in 2001 and has been making fabulous happen ever since. Gloss Creative and its alumni have mastered the art of creative renewal Listen as Amanda sits down to explore some of the world's best creative minds. These are their insights and this is their legacy. Welcome to the Creative Trust. This afternoon at the Creative Trust podcast is all about food styling. I have assembled three of our amazing alumni. Today, I would love to introduce to you, to my left, I've got Lucienne Hemingway, Marcel Okar and the beautiful Lisa O'Reilly are all here today because they know everything there is about food. Not only do they know everything about food and food styling, they also know how to design the space that it's in and take photographs of it. So once again, assembled for you, an incredible trust of people who are at the top of their game have all the skills we need. So we've got a million questions for them. <laughs> and as you know, I pretty much start with how I know people. So obviously I've known Lucienne a long time and she has been on our previous podcast when we were talking about marquees, which was great. So when I was thinking about food, obviously Luce has worked with us in over a decade or more really together with us coming up with not only food concepts but how the food concepts appear in interiors, um, which has been amazing. We, as you know at Gloss, we love food. We love designing it. We love eating it. And we love creating the um, experience behind all of that, which is amazing. And Luce's work has just gone from strength to strength and she's just recently been shortlisted for the Australian Interior Design Awards for her beautiful project in South Yarra. Jürgen, is it? Jürgen. Jürgen. Yeah, I'll get that right, <laughs> which I'm sure she'll tell us about today. I've had the privilege of knowing Marcel as he has photographed almost all of our work for the last 20 years, uh, together with Diana Snape and um, Kyle Ford and, and Rocket Matler. They're the only four people who've really photographed our work but I would say that Marcel has photographed 80% of it <laughs> we've made him you know slavishly turn up on site at 4am 8pm to capture that moment before the people arrive it's a very special time when either Steph 
or Jahan or Luce or I have been out there and it's just that moment when everything's done and we're able to just have a nice chat and he's been able to capture it. So that's been so special. So thank you for coming today as well. Absolute pleasure. Thank you. And I met you because of Vogue Living. You were photographing the Moet Marquis out at Flemington. Yes. And I remembered this. And at the time when I worked at Country Road, that was actually how I knew Lisa. I don't know how we even made that connection, but I remember us being in the pub opposite the road from Country Road and you were talking about your work at Vogue Living and what you did. You know, so obviously you've had interiors, work, food, and you are also an award-winning photographer. (laughs) So it's this incredible combination that you've all got today. So I guess, Marcel, I'd like to start with you, if you could just tell us how you got creative. I think as a child, or uh, I spent a lot of time doing Lego. Uh, I liked using my hands. I liked woodwork. And then I'm sitting in year 11 art class and my art teacher looks at me and says, you're not really going where you need to go here. (laughs) <laughs> is there somewhere else, something else you'd like to try other than drawing, painting? I quite like sculpture for a while, pottery, kind of that kind of thing. The idea of photography really lit up then, wow. sort of around that long 15, ago. 16 years old. Wow. Yeah, and there's a bit of a history behind that with my family. Mum was a huge fan of the camera. She would photograph any event that would happen. Uh, as mundane as it may be. Her father was extremely passionate amateur photographer, so much so that he would he built his own dark room in his house to process and print any family memories. And even further back than that, his father, my great-grandfather, um, and not many people know this, uh, McPherson Robertson, the chocolatier. So I have a connection, I guess, Lisa, a lot dissimilar to you in photography and food. Um, and he, he had a bit, a bit, a bit like, uh, a bit like what my mother did would photograph anything and everything. So we have these wonderful glass plates, five, four glass plates from like 1890 of him in his white suit. And, (laughs) and, uh, we'd have this, um, concept where I remember my grandfather telling me that the audaciousness of having his back photographed as well as his front, you know, <laughs> to think you could go to the lengths of having two slides, you know, produced just to photograph the back of your beautiful white suit as well as the so front. So when you're saying glass slides, you mean Lit- photographing on glass. Yes, the wow. uh, good old okay. way, the old silver halide way. Yeah, yeah. So Frank what sort Hurley of camera way. would that be? A 5.4 camera, uh, the large, star, large scale camera. So it's... I guess when you look at old movies and whatnot, it was like that that accordion style box that had the, that blows up occasionally. <laughs> uh, well, that, yeah, they were the they were the the, were the flashes, flashes at that yeah. time or whatever okay. they were made from. But yeah, so they were they were it was a big cumbersome thing that you needed a tripod for. You couldn't just create a a moment or anything. It would have to be something quite deliberate and precise. So it was a completely different way to approach things to the way we do. But how I got creative, I don't know, have I answered that? <laughs> you totally have. You <laughs> it was totally a bit of a history have. lesson, but mm. um, yeah, somewhat through family, somewhat through school. Yeah. Mm. What was your favourite childhood food? I 
could never go past good old spaghetti bolognese. <laughs> Basic. Basic. But then again, my mother made a dish that she used to call flat chicken, which was essentially a chicken breast that had been bashed flat and then covered in cream and Perfect. butter. And it was just the best. <laughs> I love it. You've, you've got to have a childhood favourite. And yeah. I'm sure we'll so be talking So I don't think you can get that it. on a menu anywhere anymore, <laughs> but um, I did love it, yeah. So was food a thing for your family or not really? Well, or? yes. My yeah. father was a chef. Okay. Again, another connection, I suppose. But yeah, he was a chef. Mum taught him how to cook and he ended up opening a restaurant, uh, several restaurants in the heart of eateries back in the 80s and 90s on Turek Road in South Yarra and Turek itself. So um, hang on, let me get this. Your mum <laughs> taught your dad to cook. Mm. So <laughs> where did she get her stuff from? Well, how did she oh, know? I'm assuming her parents, but I can't say for sure. She just, just got it. She was always, I remember coming home from school and she'd, he'd, the food would be on already, you know. Right. It'd be a process. So she was into it. She was into it. Mm. I love mm. that. So when you're at school, yes. did this creativity show up like, or did it only show up at the end? Like you, obviously you're talking about picking up a camera at mm. school. Mm. How did, what did you do with that camera? How did you start? What sort of photographs did you take in the beginning? Yeah, I think it did show up more later on than earlier on. I would, I would photograph whatever would, was there. I mean, it was always a case of you know what it's like being a teenager. It's always a little bit last minute. So you might need to deal with finding things that are always there. So it's it might be a building, it might be a so. landscape, <laughs> it might be something that, yeah. But then, yeah, I guess in a way that's where a lot of the love for the variety of the work that I do comes from is that, that it wasn't always just one thing. I, I did like to explore different ideas or different types of photography. So it might've been it might have been landscape. It might have been portraiture. Yeah. Further to one of these questions coming down, mm. I mean, I guess the first time I picked up a camera was mm. probably around 12 when I went on a bit of a road trip with my father. What what camera was it? It was the Pentax 1000. Pentax was huge. Yeah. <laughs> that Super was, yeah, simple. That was hot. Manual. Pentax was the thing. I had a Canon Snappy. Mm. Mm. <laughs> Not quite Dan Castano, she, <laughs> she went to her first fashion week with an Olympus pointed shoe. Mm, mm. <laughs> Amazing. So yeah, it was it was a great way to learn film, of course. The anticipation of waiting and finding out if it worked or not, something I miss terribly to this day. Really? But, so film is a thing you love? I did for sure. I mean, I did love it. I do love it. I don't use it anymore, but I love that romance and anticipation of did it work? Having the time to, you know, take it in and wonder, think, reflect, wait and see. Some things worked, some things didn't. That's okay. It's all learning. I guess the beauty of today is that you do get to find out instantaneously. So, and you can get, yes, it's very efficient (laughs) and you can get a lot more shots than you could, I guess. Back Imagine in the you film. Can consider though. things more though with film. Absolutely, yeah. You just go, I oh, just take another one, just move that, take another one. It was mm. more Polaroid than. Mm. Yes, yes, because it was mm. meant money. Yeah. yeah. Every frame, yeah, there was a finite amount. Mm. Totally. Mm. At Gloss, we talk about this thing about mentors and people who help us along the way. And I love that Isaac Newton saying, 
something like, if I have seen further, it is because I have stood upon the shoulders of giants. And I love this idea that creative people are often mentored or look up to someone mm. that they know or that their teacher. Was there someone like that in your Yeah, definitely. Absolutely. World? And Lisa can attest to this <laughs> too. I, I did my formal training and then started assisting established photographers and then freelanced thereafter and found a great inspiration and mentor in Earl Carter, who just taught me how to communicate, how to problem solve, how to just get the best out of a situation. He's, yeah, he's really clever and intelligent in the way that he, he works his way through, I guess, the storytelling of a, of a shoot, if, if, you know, from an editorial perspective, perhaps. So he was certainly a big influence for sure. Mm. He's and a legend he and is, I'm sure we'll mm. have a moment, an Earl moment with Lisa as mm. well. There, I mm. feel like there's a ton of, mm. a ton of stories there. Mm. <laughs> I might talk to Lisa now a bit about how did you get creative? What was, how did it start for you? I've, uh, listening to Marcel, it's like, well, you might as well just tell my story because <laughs> where it's very similar. I, I did art at school, was no good at it. I can't even draw now, I can't draw anything, but my father and my stepfather were both heavily into photography. My dad just as a hobby, but my stepfather was a photographer for the Herald Sun. And for my year t 10 or 11 um, work experience, I got to go in and spend a week at the Herald Sun and hung out with all the photographers and had a great time. And then I got a, a, a job working every weekend in the darkroom amazing yeah and which was fantastic because I got I got to know everyone and and I was you know a runner would go out say to the tennis and bring the bring back the film and I'd have to you know go into a, a room unpack it put you know process it and then take it into the dark room and print it and then those photos would go into the Herald and I was really lucky because I, I got along with all of the photographers and you know on occasion, I was the runner, so I've got memories of sitting on the sidelines at um, the tennis centre because the photographers could sit yeah, on the down on the court on the court. Yeah. So I, you know, snuck in. I'm sitting on the court, and I, I think it was J Town or somebody. You know, I said, "Why don't you take a few?" <laughs> <laughs> so I'm sitting there, six, seven to sixteen or seventeen, with this camera, and it, it was that experience that taught me a lot about composition. And about how important it is to, you don't just take a photo of something, you, you can, you take your time and you consider what you're taking a photo of. And, you know, that I think my love affair of photography sort of started, yeah, back, back then. And then I guess this is, my parents separated when I was little and I, I lived with my dad and, you know, so it was just him and I. And he, yeah, he taught me to cook and introduced me to old movies. But um, we, I didn't live close to my friends and stuff, so I'd entertain myself. I'd rearrange my bedroom and I loved it. Like I'd drag my bed around and, I'd, and then I'd rearrange my desk and, and it felt like you'd kind of moved or, you know, but it, a lot of people think that's weird, but I, I just loved that. And I finished school and I, I really didn't know what I wanted to do and um my dad suggested that I, that I do a travel course. So I had a corporate job for eight years with ANSET Airlines 
and I was living in, in Sydney at the time and my partner, he, he'd come home from work and he'd say, oh God, another interiors magazine. You don't even read them. <laughs> like, what are you doing? You don't, you're wasting all this money. But I was tearing out articles of people that I loved and I found that really inspiring and then and then he also said, you, you're constantly rearranging. I come home and I don't know where anything is. You need, why don't you get a job and do something where you can. That boyfriend's great. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> he was at the time. Um, <laughs> so he encouraged me to get a job where I could be creative as opposed to, you know, running around in an ANSET uniform with heels on and my hair in a ponytail and red lipstick you know, taking, managing corporate clients, which I, I just didn't love. And I think that's why I'd go home and move things around. And so I got a part-time job working for the little, there was a tiny country road store in Paddington on Oxford Street, which was around the corner from where we lived. And I worked seven days a week for 18 months and sort of got involved in visual merchandising there. And realised that that was what you I could style up a storm. I was yeah. And then we moved to Melbourne, and I worked at South Yarra, which is where I met you. And I was allowed to assist the VM team when they came in, and it sort of, and then uh, you know, and then stylists would come in, and I'd assist them, and it sort of all grew from there. Amazing, mm. uh, and you know, what a great foundation for you. I can't believe that's that story hmm. especially of you of the you know the Herald Sun at the terrace I had I had no idea I was just saying to Dan Castano this morning yeah I find out so much about people I think I already know yeah. when I'm talking to them yeah um so that's that's absolutely incredible yeah was fun. there um a mentor for you yes you know either in your education um you know so as a part of your education was there someone you know was there a giant for you Mm. Whose shoulders did you stand on? <laughs> not at not at school, but there was a day a day when I was working at Country Road. I was filling in for somebody that was sick because I was just working casually. I don't know what I was doing, folding towels or doing something. Just and this woman walked in and she had on a beautiful black suit and white shirt and this beautiful chunky silver necklace and a a you know very beautiful. Like she was very well presented and one of my colleagues went up to her and said, can I help you? And she said, no, 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 don't worry about me. I'm Hel Helen Redmond from Vogue Living. I'm just having a look around. So and I was glad like, you Whoa. said that. <laughs> <laughs> because the articles that I'd been tearing out for years and years and years were Helen Redmond's and Earl Carter's. Wow. So I was like, oh, my God. She's here. <laughs> you know, it's like having an Anna Winkle moment or, you know, so I was like, here's my chance, here's my chance, what do I do? So I went around the back of the counter and got some paper and wrote my name and phone number down and I just let her do her thing and then as she was leaving, I said, oh, excuse me, Helen, my name's Lisa. I just wanted to introduce myself and without sounding like a freak, um, <laughs> I've been following you for years and years and I love what you do. Um, and I said, if you ever need a hand, here's my number. And we had a bit of a chat and um, three days later she called me and I started work assisting her three days a week um, for about six months and then she, yeah, gave me the role as what was referred to as style editor, uh, uh, market editor, but nobody knew what that meant. So it's sort of like style, you know, predicting trends and stuff like that. 
But the first, the first job that I did for her, I went into the office and she said, now I've got all these bags and things that, and I, I need them taken to the studio, the photographer's studio. And I was like, sure, whatever, anything. Anyway, so she gives me the address and I, I ring the doorbell and this man an- answers the phone and it was Earl Carter. <laughs> And I was like, oh, <laughs> oh, my God, it's you. And we were shooting there for, we were doing a story on dining through the ages. So like, you know, 70s, 80s, 90s type thing. And we, there, we were there for a couple of days and I had a book of Earl's called Places, which is an absolutely beautiful book on mm. the interiors. And I asked him to sign that. And, and then I was very lucky working for Vogue Living for three three years because I got to work with Earl and that's how I met Marcel and I got to work with all of Melbourne's top photographers and established relationships with them but had it not been for Helen who I'm still in touch with now um, is a very beautiful person Mm. just the way she operates the way she puts everything together the things that she taught me about how to navigate difficult situations to 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 make it work and to have confidence in in what you're doing was mm. the best the best apprenticeship I've, I've ever had. Mm. And I do feel like you know the people who work for Vogue and Vogue Living, obviously there's a a level that everyone achieves, you know that elevated lifestyle. And I feel like if you're a part of that orbit, somehow it helps to elevate you to bring out what it is in you that is so fabulous. Yeah, there's also pressure. Mm. A lot of pressure. Mm. Definitely. You know, going to events and we'd be reminded that we were going and we were rep- representing Vogue. Mm. So you had to make sure. And people would look at you and, you know. Yeah, have the right shoes on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mm. exactly. But it was, it was great. It was, mm. I feel very, you know, had I not approached her that day, mm. I would never have had that opportunity. Mm. So mm, that's. That's yeah, just that's magical. incredible. Yeah, yeah. That stars aligning. Yeah. yeah, I love that. I'm and glad I didn't step on your toes. Man. I was going <laughs> to, I was going to say Helen as well as not so much a mentor, yeah. but um, certainly a fantastic Made supporter and influence. Yeah, yeah, she is wonderful. Yeah, mm. she's incredible. Mm. She's now the most superb artist. Artist, yeah. You, yeah. Her work is just. Mm. It looks photographed. It looks like you know it's insane. And I had no idea when I was working for her that she was. I knew she was clever and I knew she had vision. <laughs> and isn't that great the way that even mentors reinvent yeah. and mm. move on and mm. she's doing that now. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Our careers are long, so mm. yeah. as well mix it up. Mm. That's right. And also on the and that 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 representing Vogue living or yeah. Vogue, it, it was always seen to be, well, it always was absolutely the the premium mark in magazines. So that yeah, you, you definitely were held to account. Uh, um, in saying that, from a photography perspective, you always knew you were going to walk into something pretty special, and so you had to really give it its best, um, give it its best representation. Yeah, yeah. Luz, obviously, we're familiar with uh, you and your work. Um, we talked about you being multi-layered and multi-skilled last time. Um, I know that you and your mum make the most incredible Monte Carlo biscuits. I've had them. They have that little bit of coconut in them mm. and the jam, of course, is homemade, you know, from the raspberries, from the garden, la, 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 la. So mm. I, I'm i interested where you got your love of food from. I think it, it would be quite funny because I think it was actually my dad 
as a really young child. I think my earliest memory is every Sunday morning, even as a two-year-old, dad and I'd get up, mum would get to stay in bed and sleep, which I didn't realise the significance of that until I, all my friends had kids, I think. <laughs> and we, every single Sunday, we would make scones with jam and cream. And even as a two-year-old, you know, my role would develop from, you know, all I did at the start was, you know, cut the shapes of the scones out of the dough and and then he would make these ridiculously extravagant birthday cakes for me. So I think as a three-year-old I had a Humpty Dumpty sitting on a wall and, you know, and so him, he and I would do a lot of cooking together when I was little. And then my mum, who was, I think, a much more sophisticated cook, and I'd say she's definitely a food snob. <laughs> um, I think when I got older and probably my skills got better, her and I started this new kind of food relationship. That's amazing. So... so- at school, was there anything that gave you the inkling that you were also into food? Uh, or look, how did that develop? I think I always did home ec at school and that, but it was kind of very amateur to how we'd cook at home or things I'd get up to with my parents. And, you know, they would always tell me before I came around, they'd do extravagant three days of cooking for like an amazing dinner party for just the two of them, which they'd eat when they lived in London or whatever. So I think they always had that background of knowledge of, cooking in detail and creating amazing things and then it obviously rubbed off on me (laughs) but no it never I mean my mum always said you're never allowed to go into like being a chef or a fashion designer and I've kind of definitely touched points in both in a roundabout kind of way yeah I don't don't know so your giant whose shoulders did you stand on in terms of your food gosh I I don't know I think it it must have been my mum but it was never like I just always had a million cookbooks we had probably at home with my mum you know 20,000 gourmet traveler magazines that we'd both you know be excited to get and who got to read first and Mm. go through all the recipes and we'd do funny things like oh they repeated that recipe four years ago in the (laughs) Italian magazine but you know funny things like that. And were you allowed to tear out the pages? Definitely not. All the magazines were kept pristine in their magazines. You were allowed to go back and, and, you know, we'd got to know the magazines that, you know, oh, that recipe from that one or that's the Christmas Gourmet Traveller that's got the turkey recipe in it, you know, and all that kind of stuff. But I think there's probably more people I met after high school and that that really influenced the love I had for food and cooking and taught me a huge amount of stuff, not professionally trained but just kind of. And I guess that will be the next question that I'll go (laughs) on for everyone. But I do just want to ask this thing that it used to be with the magazine, when the magazine before social media was the media, at work I was able to tear magazines out and you'd create amazing pin boards and you'd hold that image that you loved for weeks, months, years, and you'd file them away. And it was the standard thing that you would do the tears, mm. you know. still do it, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but at home, mm. that was like, no, don't rip up a magazine. You know, that was like, keep keep the volumes together. So it's a really interesting. Well, thing. I do have to say, she called me up probably about two or three years ago, and she's like, right, I'm throwing out the magazines, and I'm like, you can't throw them out. No. I'm like, what about all the recipes? And she's like, well, I don't want them, so you have to take them. And I'm like, well, I, I can't take ten boxes of magazines, so because you've got your own, <laughs> exactly. So I think I literally spent probably six months going through every single magazine and ripping out all my favourite 
recipes and now I do have a giant pile of but it is amazing it's like fashion there are things that are timeless Mm. you know if you get the right recipe you can just you know change it up a little bit each year and give it a new flavor but some recipes just work and whether they worked six or eight years ago they still work work. yeah you know which is pretty exciting so loose um you just started to touch on it about sort of what happened when you left school. So my first question for everyone is, tell me how you got into food style and was it a linear path or, you know, did you sort of wiggle your way through? It's definitely a wiggle. Um, I mean, I went off in the design direction at university and but still I used to do, because I was the closest, I lived the closest to all my friends at uni and we'd do when we were all poor and had no money. Every Sunday night, I'd throw a soup night and everyone would come over and we'd have a giant pot of soup and a $5 bottle of wine and someone had to bring the bread and we'd all just have an amazing soup I'd spent like all weekend cooking up. And then from that, when I did my internship in Italy, I got sent to all the guys, like nonna's places to learn how to make pasta and that. And so I think it just started to ramp off, really interested a lot more in making and cooking and how it's involved in just I guess life and when I got my first job in my architecture firm I was mind blown of how much money you know you go from a part-time job to a full-time so I spent probably a month trying to find how to get private cooking lessons which is where I found Sebastian you know of course and he came he agreed to it and the deal was that I buy all the food on the weekend he'd send me an extravagant list (laughs) and I'd go to the markets and buy and pay for everything and then he'd come over Monday night and we'd spend about four hours cooking and then we'd sit down at about 10 or 11 o'clock and eat it and so he taught me everything I didn't know which was you know we did all the basic stocks and bully bases and I'd learned how to debone quail and skin and fillet and Debone salmon and make creme brulee, you know, everything French. And then I think after about six months or a year, he was like, Well, I kind of have taught you everything I know. Come work with me. So then I was doing that on the weekends while working at the architecture firm during the week. And then quitting the architecture firm, I worked in the timber furniture workshop. And that was where I got to actually start building literal restaurants with all the timber furniture. And not only that, but timber boards and food that was served on things and Oreo, who was definitely a little bit of an amazing food and kind of design mentor, got me in the kitchen there and I had to make lunch for everyone every day. And he'd like whack my hand with a stick if there was a grain of risotto left out of the risotto. And, you know, he's like, there's too much of this or too much of that, or you put too much dressing on the salad. And it was quite, it was great. It was like a learning that you kind of never think you'll get, but, um, and he would send me off. He's like, oh, you've got this meeting today. You're going to design this little thing. And then I'd turn up and I'd be sitting with Neil Perry and we'd be designing the little spoon and chopstick holder for Spice Temple together. And so things like that just, you know, fell into really mm. luckily. So I started designing interiors um, and events. And I think one of the very first projects I worked on was designing a cooking school for this amazing woman company. It's called Relish Mama. And we got along really, really well and I think she'd spoken to a few other people and she's like, no one can get the style I wanted or the feeling I wanted of this dead kind of empty space that she had. She's like, I want it to feel homely. I want it to feel welcoming and, you know. So we designed that together. She's really happy. And then a few months later she's like, I'm doing a cookbook. Could you do the food styling for me? And I was like, 
that's not really what I do. And she's like, just, can you give it a go? And I was extremely overwhelmed. Like I've never done anything like that, never thought about it. And so I did a lot of Googling of like, right, how does one do this? What's the thing? And we did it a huge amount of back preparation. Like we had lists of all the meat, like all the meals, all the ingredients that were in all the dishes. We were doing, I think, 26 dishes a day. I had the amazing excuse to then go and buy everything I wanted <laughs> to kind of style everything. She had stuff as well. Great. And obviously I had things because I'd already been in events for a few years and you just accumulate stuff. Stuff. And then I'd start my own little Pinterest boards of, you know, what should this look like? What kind of feeling do we want? And so every single dish, it was really hard because you'd be doing a chicken on a rice and then you'd be doing an omelette and then you'd be doing a muffin. And, and so every single dish was a completely different style and you had to work with the chefs because you want it when it's fresh and steaming and ready or when it's just come out of the oven and the dusting of icing sugars, you know. So we were frantically just whipping out scene after scene after scene but having mentally knowing what you were going to do. And sort of mentally rehearsed the vision. Yeah, and then I was really lucky because the photographer was amazing. And then obviously Nelly was amazing as well. So it was this perfect little team on my first go. And you did that every Sunday, didn't you? Because I so remember you come to work on the Monday. And we'd say, how was your weekend? And you'd go, oh, a bit tired. <laughs> a bit tired. <laughs> well, it was extremely <laughs> exhausting. And like you rock up at 6 a.m. with like 10 giant tubs of plates and tablecloths and napkins and knives and forks and serving platters and everything and then you do it all, but then you've got to pack it all up again and you've got to wash dishes and you've got to, you know. And then um, so she self-published that and then entered it into the World Independent Publishers Award in New York and we won a bronze medal. So that was World. brilliant. Wow. That yeah. was kind of cool. achievement. Yeah. Um, so then it kind of just took off from there. Amazing. So what a great, what a great story. answer. I love it. I love it. <laughs> so Marcel, what was your path? pretty much straight ahead or where did it go so did, did you go have a formal education or did you just yeah start? yeah yeah with photography I yes I did I did two courses over five years I did a very practical course to begin with which was learn a skill in the morning practice it in the afternoon appealed to me immensely I love that and then basically rounded everything out with another course because no one's going to give a 19 year old a job who thinks they know everything but doesn't really know anything. Did uh, three more years with rounding it out with, you know, art history, uh, the technology side, the computer side, which obviously has advanced incredibly since then, but nonetheless an introduction. And then, yeah, established photographers, worked with them, then blended in getting opportunities of my own, which I guess came in an eventing sort of scenario as well where you kind of learn the pressure of capturing things that are only going to happen once. You've only got one chance at it. So you need to make sure you don't mess up. Um, and then you're kept quickly capturing. Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, you learn a few different skills in terms of that whole idea of interiors versus food versus people. And then I guess the experience and the confidence grows and you get new opportunities. And so when it comes to say food and food styling, food photography. Um, I have some clients that, that employ the stylist to do that work and I'm there to record it as I see it. And there's other times where I'll be the stylist in inverted commas. 
by no means at the level of a traditional stylus, but I'll make use of, you know, the, the elements that are, that are in front of me. Let's say it's a restaurant, you know, so you've got simple things like bread and glasses, other dishes just to create shapes and contrast in backgrounds and things like that. So just to fill out a frame to tell that story. It's nice when you get asked to do those things and you kind of get to do them your way. I really, I really like that. I mean, yeah, I, I think that's one of the great pleasures in the, in the job. Yeah. Yeah. To be trusted, to do it as you see it. Yeah. And you know what you're going to deliver and there's a satisfaction from that personally, but also people that you're working for will understand what you're going to give. And if that's a, you know, a symbiotic relationship, then everyone's on board and it's a happy story. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. So it seems like you just decided you were going to be a photographer and you just sort of Yeah. On from there was there. no plan B, Amanda. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It was wow. I'm going to go to photography school and yeah, I mean I bided my time. I took a while to make my mind up and it came to a point where uh, I'm about to have kids and I thought I need to see if I can do this myself, you know, fully fledged. And I remember telling Earl that day I'm I'm it's not that I don't want to keep working with you. I just want to see if I can prove to myself that I can make a living from it myself. And by the way, I've got someone lined up in to replace me. Don't worry. <laughs> what did he say? Oh, he went white. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I remember um, I, my, my timing wasn't great. I think it was, I think the client wasn't, was just out of earshot. So it was. <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah. So a very good friend um, filled in. For, for, uh, filled in my role thereafter, which was great for me because there was another, you know, happy face, another familiar face in the in the in the studio, and they along they got along uh, they got along like a house on fire. So happy days. And isn't um, that a great thing when you can mm. recommend a friend, so you still get to work with great people? Well, yes, <laughs> yes, yes. That's I mean, what the cohort's about. That's yeah, right. network. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's right. Totally. That's right. Totally. Yeah. I love that. What about yeah. you, Lisa? Was yeah. you gave us a little bit of you know going has it been sort of you know straightforward for you or I mean I feel like you've always known what you wanted to do but did you have to move you know to get your business going did you have to move around or how was your path I did I didn't I had no idea what I that that I wanted to even work in a magazine or anything it just I feel like I've been very lucky in that I've been in the right place at the right time and I've had the courage to speak to the right people at the right time and things of my path has, you know, I just, I don't know how it's happened, but I've been, <laughs> <laughs> but how it's happened, it happened is, um, so whilst I was working at Vogue Living, um, I received a phone call one day from the food editor of Vogue Entertaining and Travel. She rang me and she said, I can't find a stylist and you are already a Vogue person we're doing a story on a, a new chef, Andrew McConnell. We're doing it in a winery down at Red Hill. Can you do something? <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. And I was like, mm, sure. And uh, just give me a rough idea of what the food is and blah, blah, blah. So my first food, like my first styling job was working with Andrew and and I had, you know, spacecraft screen printing linen for me and Chris Code making ceramics and but it was yeah I felt very lucky that I was just given open slather I could do whatever I wanted and to be trusted mm. 
to do that that's was such a, such an honour. And mm. I think it doesn't happen so much these days, but back back then you were trusted to. Mm. So we did that story and they were happy with it. So then I sort of became their Melbourne person and got to work with some incredible chefs and travel around Victoria and went to Adelaide and Tassie. And so just pretty much photographic styling work for food and Vogue. It's no, it was for Vogue Entertaining and Travel. Oh. Yep. So I'd go down with a photographer with all of my props and get to meet the chef and then would work. My process from sort of the very beginning is sort of saying I'm here, but I'm not really here and I've got some plates, but you know, like just respecting their space and because being a, a chef, you, a chef is an artist. And their food is, it, it's a representation of them and who they are and, you know, going in with your elbows and kind of saying, I'll do it my way would, would never work. So I got to learn a lot in working with all of the chefs I've worked with because I've worked with them, you know, like it's like, yeah, so what dishes next, chef? And it's like blah, blah, blah. And I would have done my research on what that would look like before I even walked in the door so I'd have an idea in my head of what plate would be good to use and I'd go up to whoever it was um I remember going up to Greg Maloof one day and saying this one or this one <laughs> and he was very proud of his work of course but um you had I had to have confidence in why I'd picked those plates mm. You know, it's like, I think it would look good on this for this reason or on that for that reason. But if you don't like any of them, let's go into the prop room and choose one that you're happy with. But do you know what I'm loving it about hearing this? And this kind of leads to the next question, which I think you could lead with is we talk a lot about creative process. Yeah. And, you know, uh, just I guess I'm starting to review the word creative process in the sense of, you talked about earlier, mm. you had a vision in your mind of maybe what you wanted to create. And I think really the creative process is what supports that vision. So really interested to hear about how you see something. When you're first starting that process, mm. do you start with a vision? How do you start? How does it come into your head? I'm, I've got in trouble for not drawing mood, drawing a lot of stylists will draw up how they want images to look and they've planned which plate for which dish and, and I've never done that ever. I'm, I'll be given a brief, um, I'll research whatever it is, if it's an interior styling job, a, a you know, table decorating storage for a magazine or working on a cookbook. Um, I'll be given a brief and an indication of what the client's looking for and this I can't, I'm trying to find a way of saying this without sounding like a tosser. <laughs> Sound like a tosser, come on. <laughs> Just hit it. I don't know. It's instinctual for me. I'll go to mm. all of my favourite places where I know I'll get beautiful, beautiful pieces and I'll just look and be like, yep, that one and that and that and I'll pack it up, take it away, next shop. And when I first started, I'd just put all these bags in the hallway and not even think about it and have an anxiety attack the night before the job. But for me, it's 
everything that I do even now is instinctual. And I, I, I love that. If you, if you have to trust yourself. Mm. And it's from your core yeah. is what you're saying. And I think when I first started, I used to get really anxious. And even when I started writing for Vogue Living, I'd get so anxious about what if somebody doesn't like it? Mm. And, you know, when you style anything, a table or whatever, or, you know, I don't even know if you feel it like this. Sometimes you think, oh, God, what if somebody likes it? And I'm going through this again right now with my next venture. What if, what if they don't like it? And it's like, well, you can't please everyone all the time. And if you don't have confidence in your own ability mm. and, and what you can do, then nobody else is going to. Mm. So you you just have to have that creative courage. Yeah. 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 And I be open. That, yeah. Mm. I think that's why creative people are so courageous because they're the people who are putting it out there every day with no guarantee of what's going to happen. Yeah. yeah. You know? Yeah. And you do. You. I mean... You, you you can trust yourself to a certain extent and trust that what you're you you know that what you've picked is perfect and you love it, but then you've got to get to the job and convince the chef or who, whoever it is, mm. and it's just having that that the respect for them, and but also having confidence and respect in yourself in in saying no, this is good, mm. and it and you know and. There have been, you know, once or twice where I've had to say, let's just try it and see, mm. take a photo. Thankfully, with digital, you can do that. If you don't like it, hate it, we'll scrap it and we'll do mm. something else. Mm. And, you know, once mm. it's on the plate and it's down and you're looking through the camera, it's like, oh, yeah. Mm. How and do you, yeah, how do you know? Um, it's interesting because I know you work quite intuitively as well, I feel, in food styling. I know when it comes to interior, you're all about the cat as well. But I do feel food fuse sort of you playing with it. Oh, hundred percent. Mm. It's gotta it's I mean, I find it so much fun. Um, really stressful, but <laughs> like so much fun. In, um, in when you say stressful, what do you mean? Well, it's it's a huge amount of work. And as Lisa was saying, like you it's you're not photo you're not doing it for you. You're doing it for your client, the chef. So you have to have a strong enough understanding of them and mm. watch who or what they're trying to portray and that you're not overtaking that, but you're yeah. still kind of giving them something better than what they imagined almost. Mm. And so I think the last client I had was probably one of the hardest I've ever done. I did a shoot for <laughs> donuts and it's quite funny because quite often, you know, you want things to look really gourmet and it's, you know, but this is, this is you know, your stock standard donut that is low end budget. They've got a million shops now. They're extremely successful, but it's like, we're not trying to make this look like a super gourmet, really expensive donut. We just want to make it look extremely delicious. And they said the problem they had with their old photographs is like the donuts just look a bit dead. So it's like, how do you make it come alive? And then they're so what like, what did you do? We want to hear Well, <laughs> and then they're like, so we've got to do about 200 shots in the day. And I'm just like, oh my God. God. Like, <laughs> that's a lot. And I've never worked, I've like any photo, like anything that we do, like it's just in the environment. And this was in a studio and I've never done so photography in a studio. Yeah. So it was in Chocolate Studios in South Melbourne, who, who I didn't know, but have an amazing studio and they were great because they're like we're going to help you with backdrops and things like that um it was a huge amount of research to work out how do I make these donuts pop and look extremely delicious but it's 
not unattainable, if you get what I mean. So it was just that research and, you know, really looking at detail of, okay, I've got a lemon meringue donut that we've got to shoot top, side and cut. And it's like, what is going to make this look amazing? So we did it on almost like an egg yellow backdrop. So when you saw the lemon curd, it looked like this extremely rich, delicious yellow flavor of lemon. And like when we cut it and the lemon was like oozing out, everyone was just like, oh, I want to eat that. You're like, yes, that was my I've only goal. Of what I had Did you to eat do. it? Oh, no, I couldn't. So you know me and desserts. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, about, that's right. You don't like them. <laughs> there are about 300 donuts that we had to play with. And by the end of it, I just couldn't even. Yeah. But I took about a box of 40 to my nieces and nephews who like their oh minds were just. Oh, God, they must love you, Luce. <laughs> yes, that I was love it. chick of best auntie for the week. So. <laughs> But, yeah. So, Marcel, can you describe your creative process? Do you see a vision for what you do, particularly in food styling? Obviously, for interiors, I'll get you to describe that as well, yeah. but start with food. Not dissimilar to Lisa and Luce in that it, it's an organic process. It kind of comes to me as I walk in because quite often you walk into a shoot and you're not exactly sure what it is you're walking into especially when it's the first time you work with somebody so you know establishing the relationship establishing the uh, collaboration that we're all working in the same direction is kind of one of my priorities and then kind of you know a bit of time to work through what it is I'm trying to do Uh, so I'll look at a plate of food and I'll photograph it a number of different ways that for me I guess is to get into the groove a bit of what it is I'm trying to show and achieve um as much as having fun with it like the girls said and 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 being experimental and trying things that you may not know are going to work but you know you're never going to know if you don't try so i mean i have a few rules in my head in things of what i want to kind of get out of the imagery um you know graphics are very important color lighting extremely important and that's your yeah. One of the yeah yeah so yeah it's it's organic have you any of you ever had a client who hasn't liked something that you've done like you know when we were just talking about stress before i was thinking mm. what would stress mean as if you do all this work and someone doesn't like the style or the tone of what you've done have you ever had any any situations like that no. No. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, right. I have. I have. have you? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So how was it, res- was it resolved? Well, the, these experiences tend to come from the clients that you only, only ever see once. So. <laughs> <laughs> Gone. I love it. And you probably shouldn't have taken the job in the first yeah. place. So, yeah, I mean, you know, Relying on it, your own experience, which now we have after mm. having many years doing what we do mm. and always learning at the same time, uh, you can, you know, be confident in yourself. And if, and, and, and if somebody doesn't like something, there might be a reason for that. But, you know, Amanda, one of the things I admire most about you is the way you manage that in your work. And, and I remember a time you were putting a production on and there was a not a conflict but there was a question about what it is you were pre- proposing and 
and you stood strong and said, I'm not going to change this because this is how it's going to look amazing and you need to trust me. Which time was that? I've got a few of those. Was it the time the CEO was going to pull down the set five minutes before everyone yeah, was coming? Oh, my yeah, God. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that was stressful. Yeah. And I was like, if you pull this set down, the models won't know where to walk. And fortunately, one of the very senior people was like to the CEO, don't make it worse. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, wow. mm, Yeah. mm. Yeah, no, it is stressful and the first time especially I mean I mean that might not have been the first time you're working with those people but I certainly feel the most stressed the first time you're working with somebody because you're not sure what their expectation is all the time and you think well you're you're all wanting to drive in the same direction you all want to achieve something successful so but it is there is a subjective it's very nature to what we all do and it's start doing enough work and trying enough things so that you can understand like mm. when you're using the words of light mm. or I want it darker, mm. what does darker mean? Yeah. Does that mean yeah. moodier? Yeah. yeah. Does that mean darker? Yeah. Or, you know, and I know we've had those discussions like I remember in the early days I'd say, it's too clear, Marcel. <laughs> I just want an iPhone photo. And you go, well, I'm not that person. Um, and I'm glad I took that advice because I'm sure we wouldn't have had as many artichoke covers if it wasn't for your clarity of vision. Um, yeah, so that was that was pretty funny. But, I mean, I've had those mm. moments where where that's happened and, like you said, they usually don't come back. Yeah. Yeah, and that's okay. I yeah. mean, yeah. yeah, stuff happens. I mean, my yeah. grandfather said one thing to me when I was very young, and I used to take my rolls of film around to him, knowing that he had an experience and an understanding of how to, you know, what what works and what doesn't. And he was, you know, very well read when it came to photography. He had a library like yours, but purely about photos only, like just extensive beyond belief. And he said, "Yeah," he said. You have to know what's happened before you to know where you can there go, go thereafter. And, and I mean, I assume he was referring a bit to, you know, understanding a bit of history, photography, history, art history, whatever it was, to then know that, well, you know, everything's been done before, but, but there's still, albeit not necessarily that many rules anymore, there's still... I guess, better ways to do things or more successful ways to do things if you can problem solve your way through that? Definitely. Mm. I mean, that's that's one of the questions that I've got for everyone is like, mm. what rules have you broken mm. to be in the career you're in now? Mm. You know, anyone who's successful has broken rules. So I think that's that's actually a really great question for now. A lot of creatives are known for their signature style or the vibe or the beauty that they create. Can you describe for me, Lisa, what you think your signature style is? That's, yeah, that's a, it's a hard question. There are definitely a lot of stylists who have their own look and that's, that's all they'll do and that's why they're employed for the job. Uh, when I left Vogue Living, I went freelance and I began doing a lot of advertising you know, styling for advertising campaigns and I learned very quickly that you have to learn how to read a brief and you have to provide what the client wants. doesn't matter what you want, 
It's about pleasing the client. So I've sort of been able, I've been lucky I've done that, but I've also been given a lot of creative freedom in doing what comes naturally. I really don't know how to, what, is, what does your work feel like? No, it just, it's, it's, again, that toss a word. It feels easy. <laughs> it's easy. It's easy for me to do because I just, I don't worry about trends and I just do what feels right and what feels natural. And I'm I'm photographing some food at the moment for something quite special. Marcel and I were chatting about it and I had a beautiful girl helping me in the kitchen. So she was cooking the food and then I'd pick a plate and plate it up and then I had a table set up near the window with some light coming in and I'd set up a scenario and take a photo and then say, Catherine, can you come and tell me if it's, if it's all right? And she'd come in she's like, how do you do that? How do you do that? How do you make that happen? And it's just, I don't, you don't think about it. It's like you put it down if you like it and it looks good, then you take a photo of it and you might t tweak a few things or so I guess it's a natural st style. It's your style. Yeah, I don't, I'm, I haven't in I any. I mean, when I look at your work, the mm. things I see are a sense of beauty, plenty, warmth and also you love this I don't know you get this somehow this modernity out of old things I think there's a real new old thing that I see from the outside that you create somehow you know how to put propping together to get this sort of it's somewhat romantic but it's always very modern as well Okay. Yeah. Right. I don't know. Yeah. Is that a thing? I've I'm very drawn um, personally to to things that have age, like a plate that's you know got a patina on it, or I've got a ridiculous obsession with old fashioned pudding bowls, and I've got stacks of them in the kitchen, and things that have got history and character for me that that you you can pick up a pudding bowl and you can look at it and think how many where's this been where mm. do you know and that's the romance for me mm. how many women have made puddings in that beforehand for their family and it is yeah but yeah. then I I've also got a spoon in my cutlery collection for for work and it's it's been beaten so many times in making a pudding or goodness knows what that it's actually got a flat edge on the round yeah. of the top of it and I just look at pick it up all the time and it's like wow how who, how, but I then love I love mixing contemporary things with old things and I guess that's been commented a number of times in different shoots. It's like, oh, wow, I would never have thought to have done that, but uh, I like it. it I, I think it it's not. It's beautiful. It's pushing boundaries but also doing what's unexpected and contrived for me is a word that, I just can't, I don't understand and I hate it. I think it's, you know, it has to feel natural. Mm, I love that. Uh, you know, I feel like I get a lot of context from your images as well, you know, because it's always a combination for food and interiors with you. With, when you're photographing food, I definitely feel the room that you're in as well. Mm -hmm. I think, is that a strong thing for you? Um, yeah, I think so. A sense of place. 
Um, I've seen your kitchen. You've got a lot of stuff there <laughs> in that room. Yes, you it's a pretty amazing room. Yeah, it's. I do. Everyone says it every time I move. Gee, you've got a lot of stuff. But I. <laughs> <laughs> but it's what I do, and it's. I couldn't live in in. You know, I like to have these things around me because I'm a visual person, and I, I like. I like standing in the kitchen and staring at my dresser and looking at all my meat platters and all the things that I've collected over the years and traveling to France. And it's like, oh, that that's just makes my Part eyes happy. Yeah, yeah, great. Do yeah. what makes you happy, yeah. I say. Yeah. I love it. What about you, Marcel? What, how would you describe your, your photographic style? Look, I would say natural straight away. I'm I'm in the business of real life. I'm not really into a lot of trickery and whatnot. In saying that, if there is any trickery, it would be, it would be you know capturing some amazing lighting moment that only happens for a very small period of time, and that yeah. So so always looking for the moment, but you know certainly with food photography, good old fashioned beautiful big windows, they're a great thing. Mm. Can't go wrong. Mm. Yeah, make use so, of what you've got, right? Yeah. Yeah. Turn the lights so, off and let nature do its thing. So, what is your favorite time of day to photograph? This time of year, any day, any hour, because the sun's so low in the sky all day, all day long. So you've always got, you know, directional lighting coming through uh, a room. So book shoots in autumn. Absolutely. Yeah. Amazing. Mm. And mm. it is beautiful, you know, at four or five o'clock, there's almost like a, if it's a clear day, there's a haze mm. that's almost like a mist that starts to set in. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Have I you mean, done lots of early morning work as well? It's always worth getting up when you think it's the last thing you want to do. It's always worth getting up. I remember, I remember having to do a garden shoot one time down at the peninsula and it was get there before the sun comes up and you get these wonderful colours that you don't get ordinarily because you've you know you've got a 30 minute window where it's just unlike any other time of the day so yeah and one thing I sort of had to learn when we obviously first started to work because you know I wanted the iPhone look <laughs> was that you'll do a number of images where you'll pull right back and then you'll sort of do a mid to close up and I you know in the early stages I was like can we get that corner and you're like <laughs> No, no, that's what you cut into. I'm just get. I'm getting further than I that. Do that to myself. I know, and he's like, "No, no, you can crop into that." And I'm like, "Oh yeah, yeah, okay." And you know, I guess part of early on, my, our marketing strategy was simply to send high quality photography to the editors mm. so that they would publish it because we all know that's the content is there was in magazines their bread and butter. So if you can provide the imagery and a story about what you've done, mm. they will use yeah. it. And then yeah. when they come back to you and say, I need a really high res image of this, you know you're potentially onto a cover. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And, you know, I was easily able to put them onto you and you'd send them something at 94 meg or whatever. <laughs> I don't know. It was always too much from our little computer yeah. or whatever. Yeah. Um, well, there's always some. Um, you know, oh. so it did take me a while to, like you say, to make everything natural and then that's your basis <laughs> from which you can 
mess with it, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I feel like I walk into a room, if we're talking about, say, interior, I'll, I, I like to kind of create an what I would call an establishing image, which might be quite a broad, wide-ish angled image that kind of takes in a lot of what the space looks looks like, and then basically start looking to break that down into smaller vignettes or or, you know, creative kind of visions of the bigger picture. So, so yeah, using, again, colours or shapes or composition to show or feature the things that have had all the energy that have been put into them, whether it's a lamp or it's a type of chair that's been placed in a certain spot. So I don't like to mess a lot with the space unless it's obviously out of position for whatever reason. But yeah, there's a way of, I guess, that's how I would break it down. I feel like if you've got a choice to give somebody, so so they're going to like one photo more than another. Let's ultimately, you've got to choose one. They're going to like A more than B, or B more than A. That's okay. You give them 20 options, they're going to like one more than the other. That's good. And that's also part of my storytelling process that, yeah, I kind of, I have to work my way through it. I feel like the more you look, the more you see, the more you want to keep capturing. You know, Luce got me in on a shoot very recently that that I just kept seeing more stuff. Like she's done this amazing job and and I just, you know, there's just so much to the space that there's no one way to record it. You've got to just, you just got to keep, keep looking. Keep going. Yeah, yeah, until you feel like you're starting to repeat yourself and then you probably know you've got it, yeah. <laughs> and look, you know, sincere apologies from the entire Gloss Creative team <laughs> when you've come into a, Major Mark here, we've got, you've got 30 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. And you're like, oh, oh. man, thanks a lot. Yeah. You know, yeah. um, that pressure to get the shot because it's all about to be consumed by people. Yeah. You know, because mm. for us, we do always love a clean shot of our set design. Me too. No one in it. Me yeah. too. Untouched. Perfection. Yeah. Um, yeah. Isn't that weird? Yeah. yeah. Um, and yet sometimes it, the spaces are obviously meant designed for people and they do look amazing with people in the world. But I feel like the, the architect in all of us loves that establishing shot as you as you mm. call it, mm. you know. So mm. so loose signature style. I don't I can't actually think of what it would be. Architectural, detailed, I think spontaneous. I'm <laughs> any of that ring a bell? <laughs> I think I don't know, it's I guess your aim is to try and not have, well, for me, to not have a style and that every project should have its own individual personality and that it's like, well, this is so different to that one. You don't know it's done by the same person. But in saying that, I think when I was younger, I loved, I've always had such an obsession with colour and bright colour and a lot of colour. And I think as I'm designing more and getting older and you know as they say more mature um I'm learning how to work with less color so more you know neutrals and dark and light and and things like that which before kind of didn't interest me but now it's developing a lot more in a lot of my projects so I love to see that hmm. how things change when you yeah yep. yeah and I guess it's that thing of letting the present influence you and adding that to your core and then that changes you you're still yourself and you're still designing with your style but you're adding 
the new in. And I guess that's, that's about, re- I'm, you know, mad about renewal. And I think that's, you know, like you're saying, your style has changed. That means you've developed in your style. Cause it, you know, if you'd still been doing what you were doing, you know, you wouldn't be where you are today. So I think this sort of changing, how you change your style is really interesting as well. So Marcel, I've got a question for you is how has the photographic industry changed over the last 10 years? Just drop the bomb and (laughs) answer that. I don't want to get all deep, but I feel like it's probably dumbed down a bit late of recent time, unfortunately probably more than 10 years in fairness. And I guess what I mean by that is that maybe it's budget driven, maybe it's just the the quest for content at any cost uh, in terms of time or budget. Uh, I just think maybe there isn't the opportunity to explore as much as there might have been in the past. Further to that, I think, well, the speed of turnaround got such a high value that that's probably where the dumbing down kind of comes from because I mean I've got a bit of pride I feel like in a professionalism that I want to project and if it means it takes a bit longer to output that I'm prepared to sacrifice that against handing something over that's not quite right and then finding itself onto Instagram and I wish that I just spent those few minutes making it what it should be can't always capture things the way you see them at the time, especially moving things, not so much interiors or food, but I think that's everything though. Like everything, everyone wants everything instantly. It's like design me this in a week. And it's like, Mm. I can do that for you, but it's never going to be anywhere near as amazing as something you give me a lot more time for. Mm. Just two more weeks. Mm. I know all the difference. And I think that is where a lot of stress comes in for our, 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 you know, our world as well. Because you want to satisfy all the time, but you also, you've got to be realistic. Yeah, definitely. So further to that, I think obviously, you know, mobile phones are just an incredible thing. They're phones, you know, it's the same as Zara, Hollywood in your pocket. What a great tagline that is. (laughs) It's just amazing what you can do with a mobile phone and the content you can create out of that. Albeit, it may not make up onto a magazine cover, but it looks fantastic on screen that'll fit in your pocket. So, you know... The, the, the phone thing is is huge. Um, so further to that, you know, everyone's always ready to be photographed. So, you know, there's much easier job to get a good picture of somebody because they've been getting photographs in the tram and school yeah. and out and about just doing ordinary things all the time. And they just flip the switch and they're on and they look a million dollars without even thinking twice about it. So there's that instant like, you know, I'm ready to go. So with that's helped me as a people photographer or an eventing photographer to know that, you know, you're probably going to get the best out of somebody two or three seconds because if you've grown up with that. So that's a positive, I guess, in a sense of the photography industry. But yeah, just the concept of having to create content all the time. I think I'll be in a job for a while, hope all going well. You know, this, yes. this, <laughs> it's your time to shine. It's just so much so much imagery that's required all the time. Mm. And interesting, um, you know, you're talking about the pace of things and obviously the designing with Ross Creative, all of the incredible events we've done, the food concepts are just as much a part of 
the photography and telling the story as the fashion and the people. And it's meant that we design for social media mm. as we are designing. Mm. So it's twofold. We're de designing an experience for mm. people for a day or 20 minutes or nine hours. Mm. So we need a lot of, you know, if you're in a marquee for nine hours, you need a lot of entertainment. Yes. You know, and you need breaks through the day where different things happen. And often that's punctuated by entertainment or fashion or food. Mm. Um, and I think the food thing for us has been an amazing hallmark of, you know, what we all do is that that creative concept that we develop goes down into every area mm. of yeah. the experience. Yeah. And I think then the capturing of it mm. through photography for social is great. But as a small business, like you said, the fact that you have photographed our things for almost 20 years means I have a high quality archive mm. of everything we've done. Mm. So, you know, when people come to me and say, I want to write a book, I go, I've got the photos for you. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because and a yeah. great thing is, you know, the imagery that we've got is all out. So when Jahan, Luce and I put our imagery up, it's stuff we own. Yeah. We never have to look for content because yeah. it's already there. Yeah. You know, and yeah. you know, as well as your stuff, you know, I've got eight seconds. Well. Yes, yes. <laughs> you know, so yes. I think that photography, the way things have changed, as you mm. said, it's good and it's mm. it's bad mm. sort of thing. I, well. I love the I love all those elements of, as you say, a, a marquee experience. For example, at the races, where you have not only this, you know, you see the guests walk in and they're kind of wide eyed and oh wow, <laughs> isn't this incredible? And then they're bombarded with all these other you know, fantastic um, sensory experiences with the food and the way everything comes together. And I love telling all of those little stories as well whilst whilst there. That, that's a real treat. Yeah. It is, isn't yeah. it? It's very special. Mm. I love it. Lisa, you worked for Vogue Living mm -hmm. and I remember after meeting you, um, you know, I saw the work that you did but also I noticed that you wrote the story. So yeah. that's something we often talk about. I know Luce is amazing with words and storytelling and I love storytelling as well. Mm. Um, I'm interested that words help us to design. Mm. What are words for you? It's just exactly that. I think um, story it's about telling a story and I was encouraged to start writing when I was at Vogue Living because I would have to go out and find new stores, you know, people who would open new shops and we didn't have a writer in Melbourne. So I was mentored by our sub-editor at the time and he encouraged me to write and I, I guess I'd learnt that, that the art of storytelling and sometimes my text messages can be too long. <laughs> but <laughs> um, <laughs> it's, yeah, it, it, it creates... This this is just an example. So eighteen months ago, I decided to move. I wanted to 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 move. I had so many props I didn't know what to do with, and I didn't want to take them with me. So I had I created an Instagram sale and, and had a page, an Instagram page. 
and I put a, a note on the, I don't know, Elwood Facebook page or whatever it was, saying I'm going to have, this is what I do and I'm getting rid of stuff and um, it was interesting. So many people, like I would photograph a, a pair of bowls or something that I'd bought in France that I'd, you know, at a flea market that and instead of just saying, you know, vintage French plate, blah, 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 I told the story about how I came across that plate and why I was there and 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 people when they, they it was during COVID so people would come to the door with their masks on and hand over some money and I'd give them their thing and they go that story it was just I just draws you in and I had to buy it <laughs> because it's 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 that it's not just not everything's black and white and I think particularly with social media you can look at an image and it's like right okay but then what does it mean? What does it mean? Yeah, what's it about? And why are you posting that? What is it? And for, and that's often I find when I'm posting something, I like to tell the story why, about why or what job it was and what it meant to me and blah, blah, blah. And I don't know if people care or not. but No, I think it's, people love it. <laughs> I do. I really yeah, do. It's, I think it's just because it's, yeah, yeah, and it's. I think it's become more important particularly through COVID because we couldn't interact so on social media you could really delve into oh, wow you know because you, you it was a nice distraction for me mm. anyway I loved it it worked and then you cleaned out your wardrobe yes so much fun with you yes it's <laughs> great so you're at an intersection now where you'll once again have your best creative courage with you and you're doing new things tell us about o'reilly's oh so or as much as you want to give away yeah yeah <laughs> well i've sort of announced it a little bit but um so i've been styling and writing and you know taking photos for friends nothing like marcel could ever produce um for 22 years and over christmas and after the lockdowns i i just sort of i sat with myself and i thought okay and i just turned 50 i was like are you going to keep doing what you're doing for another five years, maybe? Do you still love it? Um, do you still really want to do it? And I, and I actually thought to myself, there are jobs that I still do that I love and I, would st and I still want to do styling and I still would do little small photography jobs. But I wanted to do something where, and this is going to, might sound silly, where I didn't have an art director over my shoulder and I didn't have somebody critiquing and I just, f I feel like I, I, I need to develop something for myself for my future. About five, four or five years ago, a friend of mine had a, sort of an art gallery shop space on Melbourne Road um, called Frank and there was a room out the back of it that had a kitchen in it. So... Sarah and I were just chatting one day and she kept, she kept saying, you need to open a bar or you need to do something in food. You just, you just have to. And I've always wanted to. So I said to her, well, why don't we use this space? So I came up with a concept and I used in the best, but it, you, you know, that's the best word to use, <laughs> my, <laughs> um, the contacts that I'd made in my years of food styling with chefs and the friendships that I'd made and I created this concept of a lunch, and I think it was fortnightly, where I'd invite a chef to come and have a look at the space. It was beautiful antique French furniture and chandeliers and 
uh, artwork, you know, contemporary artwork, and it was a beautiful eclectic mix of so much. And I'd invite chefs in to have a look at the space and then I'd say, would you like to do a lunch here? And they all said yes. And so I was doing these lunches and I was, I did the, I was managing the website. I was taking bookings. I was taking payment. I was maitre d'. I was service. Everything. I was helping in the kitchen. I was pouring wine and I loved it. I loved it. I just, it was such hard work. I was even dishwasher at the end of the day, you know, and I'd get there and it'd be a sweaty hot mess at the end of the day. But being in that environment and, and, Providing beautiful meals and entertainment for people is something that I've always loved to do. So we did that for a little while and then Sarah's business changed and and then just pre-COVID I, I got a little part-time job through a friend cooking meals for an elderly couple who were getting meals on wheels and were just... It, I, you could just see how depressing it was for them. You know, they've got not much left in life. You know, Bill, who was 92, had basically lost his eyesight and food was the only thing. <laughs> it's the only thing that brought him joy. Um, so I was employed to cook for them. So I'd ring Bill's wife, Joan, on a Monday. We'd have a chat about what they might like. That's amazing. And and then <laughs> I I'd, want you to do that for me. I yeah. can tell where this is going. <laughs> but it was fantastic. It was great. And I'd say to Bill, what do you like? What do you like? What do you like to eat? So we'd, we sort of ended up with a repertoire of different things, but I was cooking prawn risotto and I wasn't skimping on the parmesan cheese or the wine and or anything. Like I made a, sure it was full of flavour and delicious and, you know, chicken cacciatore and apricot chicken, just yeah. daggy as all hell, but he loved it. And I did that for about a year. And so that led me sort of thinking about all of that over Christmas just gone. I thought, well, why don't I just do that? Why don't I do that? Because COVID sort of, you know, people were doing, you know, opening gourmet, you know, take home food businesses. And my dad lives in the country and he's getting on and I've got a pretty good network up in Cobram. And so once I finished cooking all the food and taking all the photos and getting my website set up, <laughs> finishing my food handling course and getting insurance, yeah, I'm opening a, a gourmet take-home food business up in the bush. What so, a great beginning. I feel very honoured to hear that story. And it, thank you. Yeah. It's been a really big decision and it's difficult after establishing yourself and having a career for such a long time to then potentially step away from it. I mean, I'll, I'll, I'm, I'm working it so that the food business will essentially be Monday, Thursday. So you order online on a Monday, I'll cook Tuesday, Wednesday, and you pick it up on a Thursday. So, we are all in for that. So I, I can still, I'll keep my apartment in Melbourne and I'll have, you know, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday here. So I can still potentially do work, but I have a feeling that I'll end up there and... I've had, you know, some people contact me from retirement villages and the NDIS saying that they're keen. So, yeah, and it feels nice because I'm going back to the town that I grew up in. Like my sister and I went to school in Melbourne, but every because our parents worked, every school holidays we'd get put on a train and sent up to Cobram to hang out with our grandparents. And my grandfather was the pharmacist in the town and the front door was just revolving. There was always somebody coming in and, and it feels like you, 
you don't know, not going full circle, but it may not be a long-term thing. Or it may not work. So, I don't know. so Cobram is? Um, you go up the Hume Highway and mm-hmm. turn off at Seymour and go through Shepparton. And so it's sort of, it's they refer to it as Cobram Baruga now, which is, drives me mad. Um, but it's near, <laughs> <laughs> near Tokemal, near Yarrawonga. Yep. So yeah, you got the wineries yeah, and all that kind yeah. of amazing. Yeah. So yeah, it's on the Murray and mm. my godfather's got a nine hundred acre stone fruit orchard and and we've got lots of Italian friends That's who have good. got big veggie patches and so I'm gonna it it's all going to be hopefully local produce and mm. picked straight out of the garden and cooked and I can see it. Oh, it it's, sounds amazing. Yeah. I think it's going to be a lot of hard work, but after two years of not much, two and a half years, for me anyway, it's like, all right, come on. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. I love that story. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. All uh, right, I've got a lot of quick questions for everyone now, um, but I guess we're calling it the magic question, <laughs> and it doesn't have to be a long answer, but what do you think? It was that um, you broke the rules with to start your business. I don't know. I feel like I just fell into everything I did by accident. Like I, I never planned to work in events, and I never really planned to work in food. And it was just these opportunities that came up, and I was like, okay, sure, sounds good. And I don't know. I don't think I could ever not do events because I'd just get too sick of interiors. And I love the speed and crazy creativity of events. And food is my, um, I'll come home, like I'll be absolutely exhausted and half sick and I'll have been working like 6am and then I'll go home and spend two or three hours cooking a meal for dinner and my husband will be like, why can't you just do something simple? And I'm like, it relaxes me. (laughs) Yeah. I'm pretty sure I'll ask you that same question too. (laughs) Yeah. And I just, I need it for, it's almost like therapy. Like you, I'd probably enjoy cooking it more than eating it. Like it's, you know, the detail of finally chopping things and adding things and the flavours and the smells and watching someone enjoy it. It's, I don't know. So they've all just kind of melded into one big melting pot of (laughs) everything I do, really. Um, I feel like maybe the question for you is about you haven't broken rules because for you there are no rules. Possibly. (laughs) I think that's it. Yeah. Possibly. What about you, Marcel? What do you think you've done? I'd say going this far without a website's been pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> um, and also the idea of the idea of not bringing out the computer to tether your image capture so that someone's looking over your shoulder to tell you what to do and you then feel like you're just a technician and you can't be a creative. And I always encourage stylists or interior designers or whoever it is who might be working to look through the camera like we used to and I really, really think that's a, a more considered way and maybe getting back to the best named podcast going around, the creative trust that, uh, that, that allows the connection between you and your client that, yeah, can hopefully see you sort of work further together. Yeah. Yeah. What about you, Liz? I think it would, uh, my, when I was little, my father said to me, when you grow up, you must get a job and you must keep it. 
So I got a job. Well, you've smashed that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and get a gold watch at the end, that type of thing, which is how he was that generation, I guess. And I that I could never, you know, sitting in a corporate office with fluorescent lights and a headset on, taking orders from people booking their holiday, whatever. I just I couldn't just knew I couldn't do that. And so I guess I broke my father's rule. He must be pretty proud. Mm-hmm. Well, he probably tells everyone at the local supermarket yeah. what a legend you are, but not to your face. Yeah, no, never, never. I love it. So just a quick one of what's your favourite new food trend that you've seen? I know you've been overseas recently. What did you see over there that you just loved? It's quite funny. I think being stuck in Melbourne in almost your house for the past few years, it's how strong an influence a location has on food and cuisine. Um, like we did all of America and my first arrival in America was in Austin and, you know, you get out of the airport and you drive into the city and then when you get out of your car in the city, you're just overwhelmed by this smell of, like, smokers and meat. Like, it's just in the air. Like, you don't know where it's come from, but it's just there and all their food is about, obviously, the Texan heritage of their meat and, you know, amazing cattle and farms and it's it's just everywhere. And so there it is the most ultimate thing to eat and it was kind of like that. In all the cities that we went to, it's what they do best. They do so incredible and creates the personality. But then it's like how can you bring some of that back to where you live and make it your own type of thing? I don't know. Like it was, I mean, you know, they have I'm everything. Sure that, you'll be bringing it back. <laughs> I mean, they have everything that we have, but it's the way they do it. It's different and obviously their produce is different and, you know, Melbourne's got a really weird, strong style in hospitality and I don't even know what it is, but you go to Sydney and it's completely different and it's not that it's worse or better. It's just we've got this crazy hospitality personality that if it's Italian or it's, you know, Japanese or whatever it is, you like if I didn't, someone didn't tell me where it was from, I'd still be like, I'd know if that's Melbourne or not. Like it's, it's weird. It's, I don't know. And yet we do it really well. But then seeing overseas so recently after so long, it's like I feel like we need to break it a little bit. Like there needs to be something new. And even in Tassie, like I was there a lot this year and it's different that just how small they are but how differently they treat food. They do. Um, definitely. Yeah. So produce, the heroing of produce. Yeah. And just that like you can run out of something like where I feel like in Melbourne, if someone ran out of a dish or of something like people would be like outraged. It's like, mm. but I came for this famous dish that you've done. And what do you mean you've run out of the lobster? How is there not endless lobster to, you know, that type of thing? What are you loving, Lisa, at the moment? I, um, for me, I, I, I don't know so much about trends with food. I think, I will use Karen as an example. I've worked with Karen Martini a lot over the years and she's just opened, well, not just, but, you know, Hero at Acme and it's not a trend but I, I find her food magical. It's because She can take a dish and put the Karen Martini twist on it and it just blows your mind. You agree, yeah. Marcel? Yeah. yeah. She's just got a way of... And you were just watching her work um, 
and her thought processes and how she comes up with the combinations that she comes up. And I know that a lot, a lot of chefs in Melbourne do do that, but her Karen's food is like you might go to Gimlet or, you know, somewhere like that and it's up there and it's amazing. But Karen's food is unpretentious but exceptional. Mm. And I find that that impresses me more than any kind of trend, I think, you know. Yeah. 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 Wonderful. Mm. All right. So let's start. Lisa, favourite restaurant of all time? Am I allowed to have more than one? Yeah. Balthazar in New York, uh, Bouvet in Paris, the European in Melbourne, Chicholina mm-hmm. in St Kilda. Mm-hmm. There most days. It's true. That's incredible. <laughs> what about you, Marcel? Cutler & Co. Cutler & Co. Andrew's Cutler & Co. in Gertrude was everything I expected and more the time I went there. Beautiful. Mm. Mm. Luce, have you thought of one? Now I've had a chance to think about it. Um, I can't say I have a favourite all-time restaurant. It's more experiences at restaurants because you can go back to the same restaurant and not have the same experience. So, I mean, hero ones would be we went to the Beef Club in Paris as a recommendation and it was, you know, a very fancy restaurant. We were young and, you know, it was seeing tiny little most elegant French women eating giant like bones of marrow and the quality of the food and then taken to a secret downstairs to like this black bar where cocktails were served in giant crystal punch bowls. And and then it was um again Voudemont when I was only twenty one or twenty two making the cheese carts and everything there for where I was working. And then being taken there and never having that young experience, anything like it in my life, but to the point of where I think they gave us, it was to the point where we were almost rolling around on the ground sick because they just <laughs> kept bringing course after course after, like, I think we had 14 or 15 courses and we're all like, it was great. And we were having so much fun and we were drunk and then they'd bring up more and we're all like, we can't eat anymore. Mm-hmm. Like, but you don't say, you know, and so there's that experience. And then my favorite repeat restaurant is Tipo in the city and it's it's funny it's not it's not the fit out it's not it's just the food and I've gone there so much with my husband they know us and again have done a little bit of work through when I was younger and so it's just them knowing you and we know that we're going to go there say we want a table we're going to come back in an hour and a half and sit at the bar and then they we say we want the wine menu from next door and they'll go across and bring us the extravagant wine menu and we're like we're having that bottle we're going to have all the pastas and we're going to share it. And they just, it's incredible and it's really simple and delicious and it just is comfortable and not extravagant and, yeah. What about you, Lisa? I love, uh, yeah, Bouvet in New York is just incredible. Balthazar also uh, because it is the experience and, and I love the simplicity of the European and I love the quirkiness of Chicholina. And I think that what they've done at Gimlet is superb because you walk in there and you're not in Melbourne at all. You're somewhere else and that's that's a very special thing. isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the inspired. Yeah. What about you, Marcel? Where do you love eating? Uh, we don't <laughs> eat out anymore. <laughs> <laughs> You're too busy running teenagers well, around. I'm, uh, yeah, I had that conversation with my family yesterday. Where are we going for my son's birthday? And I got two I don't knows and a you decide. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. So, Luce, 
What's your favourite shoot you've ever done? I think one that sticks out as an absolute favourite is probably the gala because I just think there's so, and as you say, it's 100% food and styling and design and the multitude of spaces and every single space is so crazily different to every other space and it's us creating room environments and then creating our own little sculptures within the gallery that has, you know, the best artwork in the world that we've kind of slotted in and how that fits within the space and people react to it. And I think that the Eshin Nendo, not the whole thing, but I loved our food interplay with that where we did our cheese table and our dessert table as they were these crazy, weird sculptural things. What's the favourite shoot you've ever done, Marcel? It's impossible to limit it to just one, uh, Amanda, but certainly I agree with Luce in that the gala is is incredible. Just the combination of again the, the the beautiful you know pools of light that 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 highlight the artwork, and then how you complement how you complemented that with the table um, settings, and and then it's just a feast for the eyes. I just I just loved it. I just couldn't get enough of that. And further to that, you know, again, where we first met, that bubble tent, Moet bubble tent was so cool. And then all of the um, eventing thereafter that they put on and you put on with them were always a big highlight. And, you know, you always thought it's going to be really amazing, you know, the, the, the creativity that goes into those things, given that they're temporary and last a week. It blows my mind. Yeah, it blows our minds too. <laughs> what about you, Lisa? Favourite shoot? Years ago, I was flown to New Zealand for a magazine to do a story on a tiny restaurant in a place called Morakai in New Zealand. And it was a, a restaurant, just a pure seafood restaurant owned by Fleur Sullivan and it's called Fleur's Place. And it was, I, I think I spent about 24 hours in the air and I was in New Zealand for about six. <laughs> but it, just going from different places. But anyway, it was about the experience and the appreciation and meeting her and hearing her story and seeing where she was and Rick Stein had been there and she was that was that had that she was done. She was as happy as a lamb. She didn't you know, but it was it was that it was learning and and experiencing and hearing people's stories, I think, is part of one part of I don't have a favourite the best part of my job is leaving at the end of the day knowing that, particularly with cookbooks, you've helped somebody's dream come to life and seeing how special that is to them is is what is really what's the most important thing for me. It is a very important thing when you're part of a process where you're realising a vision yeah, and that you're, just your contribution Mm. can, as you say, realise something that's very important to the commissioner. Yeah. That it's part of what they've created. Yeah. And if you work well with them, you're furthering their vision and it's it's very important. Yeah. And that's incredibly valuable, valuable to them. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's incredible. Yeah. Do you have a ride or die dish for yourself personally? That I go out to eat, that I seek? Anywhere, anything. So I spend a lot of time at Chicholina. And they they do the simplest pasta that's got garlic, chili, spinach, olive oil, 
and every time without fail, it's perfect. It's just, it's the, 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 it's the comfort meal that you like, whatever day you're having, you just know that you can walk in and I'd be sad if that ever left the menu. Um, but just this, I think it's the simplicity of it or the, um, I'm not going to say it right. You said it right before. The, the boulevards at um, Balthazar. Oh, I just couldn't. It just was. It's worth going to New York for. I love that. Right or die. What about you, Marcel? It'd probably be down an Italian road. I'd imagine. We love making lasagna at home. Pretty boring, but homemade lasagna can't get it in a restaurant anywhere that good. And we love making our own pesto. We grow our own basil, that sort of thing. We we. Got a pretty cool pesto pasta dish with a bit of chicken and a few veggies. Not uh, overly creative, but delicious. Does the job. Yeah, yeah. Lose, what about yours? Um, I think like Marcel, it's probably a do-it-yourself at home one. My husband is an avid fisherman. You know, you know Amanda, and it's kind of changed my entire concept of how we eat seafood. Um, and we pretty much never buy seafood anymore like we actually really rarely eat it unless he catches it and the reason is because it's so fresh and so good it's like anything else it's a bit of a disappointment or letdown <laughs> so we have um it's very very much a tradition and a time of year thing he loves the giant fish so summertime is kingfish season and then winter time is tuna season. And he goes off on these wild adventures and he'll be gone all day. And I'm like, I just need to know, did you get the fish? Like, and he's like, no, nothing yet. And then so they might stay another day and they'll try and get it. And so it's not like he doesn't get them every year. It might be one year he might get tuna and the year before he might get you know, kingfish. But when he gets it, because they're so big, it's like it's on. And I go down to the market and I'll get, it's, we do like tuna or kingfish degustations and it's tuna 20 ways and we, immediately text our friends and we're like it's tuna night be here at eight or whatever if you want to come and then we literally just sit and have tuna 20 different ways of all the different you know and you have and then because it's like 20 kilos or something everyone gets a little take-home pack and then we eat tuna for the entire week until you're like I just can never even look at the thing again and then it's fine because then you don't eat it for another year until he catches another one it's also the kind of the gloss creative dish as well the king, kingfish or the snapper ceviche for lunchtime with the corn Yum. crackers. Oh, my God. It's a thing. Yum. Yeah. I've learned it. Jahan's learned it. And we always text the recipe to each other just when we need it. So, Luz, I want to know if it's changed from last podcast. Are you front of house or back of house? Definitely back of house. Still back <laughs> yes. of house? Yep. Love it. I get, like Marcel, told off all the time for not having a website. And I'm like, I don't need anyone to see. I'm just, you know, if you really want to find me, you'll find me. Well said, Luz. <laughs> what about you, Marcel? Definitely back, Amanda. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. <laughs> as you said, I love that half an hour before things get hectic when you've got that window of opportunity to get get a record of everything that you put all your energy into. Yeah. And it's peaceful and it's incredible. You think this is why I'm here so early because you know you're going to get something amazing. When the people turn up, I, t I go home. <laughs> <laughs> Both. Okay. Yeah. Because? I love the setup and I love the, the process and all that sort of stuff. But I also love, much like with the pop-up restaurant that I did, I love being 
involved and seeing people get pleasure out of it. It just, you know, makes me happy. I can see that. It's it's that hospitality and that caring for people. Mm. Yeah. It's a great feel good. Yeah. As you know, I love a quote. We've had a few quotes today. Yeah, we've we had pretty one good ones from fathers and grandfathers. <laughs> um, is there a quote that you love, that you'd love everyone to hear? But, uh, I don't know if it's a quote necessarily, but it's something that I've heard that, that I st- stand by still today and literally today. If you don't have confidence in yourself, no one else will. Uh, yeah. Really. If, if you're feeling good, everyone else feels good. And yeah, and it, and you ha- you've got to back yourself, you know, when you're when you're walking into a, any creative situation and you're you're creating something for the for whoever to see. You can't stand there and go, oh, I'm not sure, I'm not sure. Do you like it? When it's too late, and you're like, yeah, here you go. You love it because I love it. And, and do you think that's something that you can develop over time? I, it took me. A little while, I think I had to develop that really quickly when I was at Vogue Living and I was styling shoots and writing and, you know, doing table decorating stories and all that sort of stuff. It was like, you're, it's being photographed now. Am I happy with it? Yep. And you just have to let go. And you go, I'm happy with that. And if it goes out into the world and someone sees it and they don't like it, you can't please everyone. Do you have another quote for yeah, I do. <laughs> Bring I do. it on. I do, Amanda. Um, it's one of yours, though. Okay. The pleasure <laughs> is all mine. <laughs> oh, that is actually a great, fun thing. Is that your quote? Yes, it because is. it was a way of articulating how we feel about our work. Yeah. We're very privileged in what we do. And that became, that was actually the first website yeah. that I put up. The pleasure is all mine.com.au, yeah, yeah. as well as Gloss Creative. So if you just typed in the pleasure, that came up. Yeah. Um, which Cherry Wright incidentally used as well for their advertising. Really? I'm not sure if they still do, but I was like, hmm, interesting. Right. Um, which was yeah, but it just reflects the joy yeah. in the work. Yeah. It, it shouldn't be a chore. It shouldn't be crazy stressful. Mm. And even though at times it is. You've got to keep that in your mind. Mm, mm. And definitely, I feel that when you come to photograph our work, mm. that it's a joy for you as oh, well. Yeah. And that's yeah. really, it. we get excited when you're coming because we know what you're going to produce. <laughs> Makes us look great too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that's yeah. great. Yeah. And yeah. if there's, uh, just further to that, if there was um, a mantra, I suppose, to go by, it was, you know, you never... You're never sure who's going to see what you produce and then what might come of it thereafter. So even if it's the most mundane, boring, why am I here job, you still should give 110% because of that very reason. Those opportunities often come from the strangest and most low-key places. Mm. I got an amazing job. I did the leaders walk for APEC, the Sydney Opera House, Mm. through a suburban printing um, house whose girlfriend worked for Prime Minister and Cabinet and they said, oh, we need someone to do something up at the Opera House. Oh, yeah, I know a girl, ring her. And this amazing opportunity came from wow. this very low-key mm. wow. chain of suburban events. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so you're right. You never know. Mm. Mm. Quote, Lucy. 
One I loved from Fellini was life is a combination of magic and pasta. And it's more, um, I kind, I guess I get very overly excited about stuff. And so my thing is if work isn't something that is a little bit magic and gets me really excited, then I probably shouldn't be doing it. Um, and then pasta is, I mean, it's definitely a favorite food of, I don't know, I think every single person. So it just makes sense to me. And then the other one, which is just very, um, not elaborate, not, you know, but just, it just is, um, was from Pavarotti. And he said, one of the very nicest things about life is the way we must regularly stop whatever it is we're doing and devote our attention to eating. What a great way to end. Thank you so much for your time today. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs>